This is Pivot Perspectives with Chris O'Byrne, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant people on the planet. Hear their stories and get the most important business lessons they've learned on their road to success and get exclusive access on how to implement their success into your life and business. Pivot Perspectives is brought to you by the Strategic Advisor Board and your host, Chris O'Byrne. Welcome to the show, Max. I am very glad to have you here today. Thank you. What I'd like to start out with is kind of going back a little ways. Uh, can you choose a story from your childhood that you think was instrumental in developing you into who you are today? <laughs> well, my dad was by far my greatest mentor, and uh, I grew up the son of a sharecropper following two gray mules in the early days. And uh, finally, uh, we were able to get a tractor. Of course, dad drove the tractor. Well, I finally uh, was able to get rid of the two gray mules and dad let me drive the tractor. So here's one of the funny stories. So I'm out in the field, dusty, and the tractor stops. So uh, I tried everything. I cleaned the carburetor, I had spark plugs. I did everything I thought you could do to get this thing started. No luck. And I look out across, and here comes a beat-up old pickup truck bouncing across this dusty field. And I said, this can't turn out very well for me. <laughs> so Dad gets there, and he said, now what the hell's wrong? And I said, Dad, I don't know. I've tried everything. I can't get it started. He said, get out of the way. Sure enough, about five minutes later, Chris, the tractor is running fine. He turns to me, and he said, I want you to remember this. And I said, yes, sir, what is it? He said, stay away from uh, machinery. You don't know anything about wheelbarrows. <laughs> so and he just, it wasn't long after that, the dad said, and I think this is important, dad said, look, you really don't like this farm, do you? And I said, yeah, I love the farm. I just don't like the farm work. And uh, he said, you know, if you don't like something you're doing, you're probably not going to be very good at it. And I thought that's a great story. And he said, so I'm going to let you go. <laughs> that means for sure. And he said, you're out of here. Go to town and get yourself a job. And so I did. And so it was a great lesson. Uh, Dad was fully supportive of, of my interest, uh, whether it be extracurricular activities uh, that he supported or, or schoolwork or, or whatever, a job. And uh, and so I learned a really valuable lesson, lots of valuable lessons from him, which I, I explore a few of those in the book and why it's been so important to me to think back to what he said. One other quick one, Chris. Dad uh, was a uh, uh, recession era uh, baby uh, from the old days, depression era and a uh, tight man. He had every dime. People said he had the first dollar he ever made. And uh, so uh, one day in his, I guess, late 70s, probably early 80s, he said to me, son, if there's something you want to do, you probably ought to go ahead and do it. And my mouth dropped open and I said, you spend money for something fun? And he said, yeah. He said, it's not because you won't be able to later. It's because you won't want to. And so that's been another valuable lesson. If there's uh, something that comes up, you think you kind of want to do, and it's not going to destroy your financial uh, well-being, then maybe you should go ahead and do it. I'm 81 years old now, Chris, and I got to tell you, he was right. The things that I can go do, money's not really a major problem anymore. I just find I just don't really want to. 
And so I wish there's some things that I had done earlier on. So that was a very valuable lesson uh, in my early days. Yeah. So then before we jump into talking about your business, let's talk about your military career. How long after that happened did you go into the military and, and share with us some of the the stories of what you did there? Because it's pretty, <laughs> okay. pretty amazing. Well, it's amazing that I, that's the part I've been thankful for for so many years. Uh, well, I, those early days, uh, I think I finally was able to go to town and get a job. I was probably 13 years old. And uh, so uh, I got blessed and uh, got an appointment to the Air Force Academy when I was 17. So it's, you know, four years later that I went off to uh, to the Air Force Academy. And depending on your attitude, the timing was either good or not so good. Uh, went to the academy, graduated, went to pilot training, and went to war. Bing, bing, bing. Uh, I volunteered uh, to go over and rescue helicopters. Uh, my assignment was uh, into uh, principally into layoffs, but there was no war in layoffs in 1967 uh, uh, and 68. Uh, we hadn't we hadn't told the world that we were there, and so I IA and Air America, and and we lived uh, with Mount Yard tribes, but not all the time. I got to go back to Thailand and from time to time, and uh, we were 70 miles from Hanoi. So when the fighters, uh, which we couldn't keep up with, of course, they left from Thailand and, and headed into North Vietnam on their missions. So we would join up with them at the border, Laotian, North Vietnam border, and then we'd follow them in. And when they got shot down, we'd try to pick them up and bring them home. So uh, the mission was the best in the world. It didn't matter what kind of war it was. Uh, that others may live was our mission. And uh, uh, we went in to bring these guys back home to their, have a life, a career, families, children. And uh, and so there were really about three options. One, death. Uh, they were shot down when they ejected or, or crashed. Uh, the second was the capture and probably the Hanoi. And the third was me, the Jolly Green Rescue Organization. So we were pretty popular. And uh, we got 80% of the people shot down in uh, in in the war and uh, our organization the air rescue organization was the most decorated organization in the entire war of all all organizations so it was very very rewarding in fact i got a fellow that sent me a case of scotch every christmas for years <laughs> for bringing him home so uh yeah, i got shot down twice myself um people said what is it like to get shot down it was the pits I mean, it was terrible. I mean, what did you expect me to say? Oh, it's wonderful. I had a great time. No, it uh, it wasn't fun, but I made it home both times. So then what was that transition like to the business world? How did, what, you know, what was the transition like and what inspired you to start your business? The transition was uh, not, uh, while I was still in Vietnam, I got selected by the Air Force to go back to graduate school and in the field that I wanted, which was management. And uh, when I got home, I, I uh, flew down to Randolph Air Force Base, uh, personnel training, and and uh, was told that I was going to uh, Dayton, Ohio. Dayton, Ohio. This is the University of Ohio is not Dayton, so I don't want to go. Uh, 
And I said, what's in Dayton, Ohio? I said, the Air Force School of Logistics Management. Supply officer school? I'm a pilot. I don't want to become a supply officer. Uh, anyway, so I, uh, they said, well, we've had these problems and we don't think you can get in. I said, I was on the dean's list every semester but one. I mean, I think I can get in. Uh, so I went home, uh, dejected, depressed, and applied to all of those uh, graduate school business uh, and law and uh, got accepted to all of them. So I went back and said, hey, Sergeant, I got good news. Review the bidding. And look, I got accepted. And he said, Captain, I don't think you understand. You're going to Wright-Patterson. Air Force Base, the Air Force School of Logistics Management, and you can't bluff the Air Force. So 10 days before registration at Stanford, uh, I resigned my commission, and I told this sergeant, I'm going to Stanford either in a blue suit or blue jeans, and right now I don't give a royal rats, and so off I went. So that's the transition, and uh, I loved Stanford. I loved the Biz School. I loved everything about it. Um, I thought real estate was a wide open field with uh, probably a uh, uh, low entry level that I could get into. And that was my plan. And I got a job and I graduated working for uh, a fellow that uh, a lot of people claimed was the world's richest man at the time. And I managed all of his real estate worldwide. So that was a transition into the real world of business and how it happened. You're going to have to put up with me, Chris, or just interrupt. It won't bother me. I am grossly, overly verbose. I'm a storyteller. <laughs> <laughs> no, the stories are what make this fascinating. I love the stories. So please don't hold back. <laughs> okay. So well, just give me one of these when it's time to go. <laughs> you got it. So then tell me about your current business. You know, what is it that's unique and valuable about that? My current business is uh, trying to help people that are failing in their business or people that want to move into having their own business. You know, after this mess with COVID, um, 30 something percent of the people that were interviewed said they didn't want to go back to work. They wanted to start their own business. And so uh, there's a huge market out there, I guess you'd say, for the entrepreneurial character. And I have said, if you don't just absolutely, positively have to be an entrepreneur, don't do it. It's tough. It's really tough. Then the failure rate is is high. So for those people that are having trouble, um, Jack Canfield uh, suggested I write this book about bouncing back from failure and grit and determination and resilience and all those sorts of things. But do it, Max, by telling stories. So the book is about all my failures. And I wrote humorous stories. Two of the things I learned in business, really important. One, if you're promoting anything, if you're selling anything, number one, your promotional material must be entertaining or you're going to lose it. Secondly, there has to be a call for action or else people that, you know, so if you got a great product and, and you don't tell the world about it. It's probably not going to do very well. And if you don't ask them to do something, i.e. buy the product, okay, or product, then probably your business is going to fail. So anyway, um, that's why we decided to tell these humorous stories. I think they're funny. Most people do about my failures. And there's a principle in each one of the stories about how I bounce back or what I should have done <laughs> that I didn't or I did do that I shouldn't have. Okay. And so the 
purpose of my business, if you will. Now I, I call it an expensive hobby, <laughs> trying to promote a book, but it ain't a market book. But the purpose is is to help people be successful by not making some of the mistakes that I did. Uh, I retired from my business business uh, in uh, 2017, which is what six years ago, roughly. And uh, uh, I sold that company to Nestle and uh, had real money. That's fun. And uh, so I said to my wife, OK, so uh, we're going to uh, uh, retire now. That dream about walking the beach hand in hand. And she said, well, I'm not retiring. I'm too young to retire. I'm not going to retire. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on a second. So what are we going to do? And she said, there is no we. Whoa. Uh, she said, I'm going to start my own business now. And if I succeed, it'll be my success. And if I fail, it'll be my failure. And if I need your help, I'll ask you. <laughs> and so she is a hair on fire entrepreneur and she's got international businesses going. And, uh, and so that's when Canfield said, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know what I hate retirement. It really sucks. And he said, why don't you write this book about all your failures? You're a great storyteller. See if you can put it, you know, from here onto paper, which I didn't know I could do. Uh, I guess it turned out okay. We won lots of awards in Amazon, four countries and so forth. So that's kind of my business now is trying to learn how I can get these principles, which I believe will help a lot of people, particularly particularly the entrepreneurial. Although Canfield said, Max, don't limit your market to just entrepreneurs. There are too many great life lessons in there that can apply to other than entrepreneurs, particularly small businesses and families. So um, it's still fortunately, I don't need the money. So I'm really trying to get the word out as to these principles that I hope will be very helpful to people. So that's my business, uh, Chris. It's not really what you yeah. asked me, but you got it. No, that's a great answer. What is the name of your book? The Harder I Fall, The Higher I Bounce. Nice. And uh, some of the friends that were kind enough to write endorsements uh, said that that really says it all, Max. You have bounced from uh, one impossible situation to a probable situation, and somehow or another, you always just keep climbing the mountain, climbing the mountain. And so the the last company we did 1.8 billion uh, in sales over a reasonably short period of time. So uh, from following those two gray mules, old Tom and old Jack, uh, to uh, selling a company that did that well in the market, I guess is uh, is a story of lots of failures and a few good successes. Yeah, I'll make. I'll make sure there's a link to your book in the uh, show notes. That everybody okay, thank you. Appreciate it. Hopefully the other people that read it will appreciate it. Oh, I think they will. Um, so along the way in, in your business life, who are some of the key influences or mentors that played a significant role for you? Well, my dad, number one. Uh, my dad uh, had a twin brother. In fact, he had five brothers. One was a twin. And uh, that brother went off to college. They lived with their dad. And uh, my dad, I think looking back now, uh, he was really undereducated, but really wise. I, I think he must have had ADD, quite honestly. He wasn't doing well in school. And so his dad uh, told my dad when uh, he was in the ninth or tenth, tenth grade, I guess. He said, look, obviously this book learning isn't working for you. So just 
quit school and come on back and work on the farm. So my dad had a 10th grade, sort of 10th grade education, but was really wise in trying to point out his wisdom in the book. Uh, so he was the first great mentor to me. I got time for one quick story about my dad and the lesson yeah, I learned. Please. Okay. So dad went into the, he actually was in the cavalry in, uh, in World War II. And because he knew something about horses and mules. Okay. And so, but he also had an additional duty. Uh, he trained the office polo ponies. You believe the officers in the army used to have polo? Well, my dad didn't know anything about polo, but he could teach the horses tricks, you know, to rear up and lay down. And the guys would get behind the horse like they were shooting, you know, the bad guys uh, using the horse. And so we always had horses. I started when I was three years old. I guess I had a pony. So anyway, my dad buys this new horse. And uh, I'm going to take the horse on a Saturday and ride up to my cousin's house which is, uh, I don't know, a couple of miles away. And uh, so as I leave the front yard, dad's in the front yard, and he said, where are you going? And I said, I'm just going up to trade some comic books with my cousins. And he said, okay. So off I go, and it's a gravel road, and you have to cross this rickety old bridge uh, to get up to my cousin's uh, house. And I get up there, and the horse won't cross. So I thought, you know, I'm sorry kicking and I'd run at it and the horse all the time. Finally, I get off. I tried to lead the horse across. Wouldn't lead. So I said, well, I guess I'm not going up to my cousins on this new horse. So I head back home and I think, oh, God, I hope dad's not there because he's going to say, you know, you let the horse beat you. What kind of horseman are you? But sure enough, I get in front yard back home and there he is. And he looks up at me and he said, what happened? I thought you're going up to your cousins. Now, here's the deal, Chris. I can lie or I can tell the truth. Both are bad options. Anyway, I chose to lie. So I said, oh, I don't know, Dad. I don't I don't think maybe they haven't been to the grocery store and gotten any new comics. And so I just said, Come on. he said, horse wouldn't cross the bridge, would it? <laughs> oh, no. Okay. So, I mean, he saw right through me. Then uh, I said, Dad, listen, I, I tried everything. You know, I couldn't get the horse to cross it. So he reaches up, grabs me by, swings up behind me on the saddle, kicks the horse with his plowshoes and the withers, and off we go down this gravel road, going like crazy. We get to the bridge, and the horse goes, won't cross. So Dad tries two or three times, won't cross. He said, get off the horse. Yes, sir, I'm happy to get off. So I got off the horse, and he tries it again. Horse won't cross the bridge. So Dad says, you see that? tree branch over there and hand it to me. Now, I don't know if he's going to use it on me or the horse. <laughs> but, so so he, I hand him the branch and he heads across the bridge and the horse stops and he takes that branch goes right between the horse's ears. The horse stumbles around a little bit. Dad runs him up to the bridge and the horse stumbles right across the bridge. Turns around, the horse comes right across, back across the bridge. Dad gets off the horse. He says, get on the horse. And he hands me the branch. And I'm thinking, at least cross this bridge because I don't want to do that. Okay. So we go up to the to the bridge and I'm waving the stick so the horse can see it. The horse's ears are straight back, right? And the horse is looking more at me or trying to than we cross the bridge. Oh, thank God. Come on, horse. Go. We got to go one more. So go back and cross the bridge. Dad doesn't say a word. Just swings up behind me in the saddle. And he said, let's go home. 
go back home. He swings off and he looks up at me and he said, I expect you'll be going up to your cousin's house now, won't you? So, yes, sir. Yes, sir. So here the horse and I go, man, I am sweating profusely. And I'm saying to God Almighty, please have this horse cross. Come on, horse. We got to cross the bridge. If you don't cross the bridge, we got to find another way. We can't go back home. We'll swim the creek. We'll go around. We'll do something. <laughs> so we get to the, we get to the creek and in I mean the bridge and the horse goes right across. I go up to my cousin's house and they said, "Where the heck? We've been waiting on you forever." And I said, "Well, uh, hmm, my dad was teaching me something about horsemanship." And so I stayed. Now here's the real point. Sometimes when you meet a serious obstacle in life. Two things. Number one, you may need some help and you better find it. Number two, you may have to use a little pressure. Hopefully you won't have to hit anybody in the head with a branch, but you may need to be resilient, have grit and force your way. It may take not physical punishment, but it may take some, some real courage to try to defeat those that you're negotiating or at least find a, a, a solution. Anyway, that's one of the old stories from my dad. I Other mentors, you know, I could name 10, 20. Uh, obviously, the people at the Air Force Academy, I was lucky enough to be an uh, administrative assistant to my congressman while I was supposed to be in high school. I wasn't. And so I went to Washington as a 17-year-old. Uh, I had a great mentor officer at the Air Force Academy that uh, taught me uh, great stories about you can delegate authority, but you cannot delegate responsibility. Something goes wrong in your organization, be it military, business, whatever, uh, that you didn't even know was happening or that had happened. It's still your responsibility and you've got to fix it or, or settle, settle it somehow or another. I've used that principally in all my organizations since the Air Force Academy, and I've, I've preached it to the people that worked for me and with me to let them know that they, there really weren't any excuses. Hopefully there would be reasons, but it was still their responsibility. So that mentor at the Air Force Academy, Lieutenant Colonel, has, has really stuck with me well. I worked for an attorney who taught me a lot about how to really deal with the legal profession. That was a great mentor. Uh, and then my failures <laughs> were my best mentors. Okay. <laughs> and a lawyer who got me through a bunch of those failures, uh, was a great mentor. And by the way, still is my attorney after, geez, what, 30 years or something. Oh, nice. Nice. So then looking back on your life. Yeah. What would you say has been one of the most valuable lessons that you learned? Well, the responsibility one, I guess, is, is probably number one on my list. Uh, you're going to need help. You can't get through life nor business without it. And therefore, two things, find people that you can trust, hopefully, uh, that are willing to help you either for free or, or for your fee. Uh, and uh, hire for character, train for skill. If you hire people that turn out to have poor character, you're going to have nothing but troubles. And so hire for character. If somebody that hard charging, high integrity, good, solid 
character, uh, morals, and train them. Train them. Uh, when you make a mistake, and you will, cut your losses early. Don't just try. I I can fix this lady. I can fix this guy. I know I'm good at. I can. No, 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 no. You don't have time for that. Do what you can. Be generous, but uh, cut your losses early. If you find somebody of really poor character, uh, it's not really your job to change their character. Not as an employer, uh, or as a or as a business owner, it's going to work. So hire for character, train for skill, cut your losses early. Uh, important lessons in in business. Very much so. Uh, so, how do you know when you have found somebody of good character? Well, the easy answer is they don't do anything dumb, <laughs> okay, <laughs> or or stupid, or illegal, or questionable yeah. from a morality point of view. Uh, so, number one is it's a negative approach. Okay, <laughs> this guy's doing great, and nothing's going wrong. The way you find out. Otherwise, is you got to have controlling data. Um, it's called walking the manufacturing floor, to put it in another way. You can't just sit up in the warehouse in your little office and watch the manufacturing floor. You need to get down there. You need to know the people, get to know them, find out about them, how they do it. So data collection uh, on a very basis is important. The thing that set us apart in the last company that that did so well, the billion eight, um, was we had 400 manned locations uh, in shopping centers in the world, and we had 800 uh, what they call automated retail. I used to call them vending machines, right? But now it's called automated retail. So how do you control? How do you monitor? How do you train? So forth. So when it need when training is needed. Locations where there are only three or maybe four employees and normally only one at a time at a kiosk in the mall. Down the hallways, you see those kiosks and carts. Okay, that's what we had so many locations uh, doing so well with a great product. Uh, we developed reporting systems, monitoring systems, so that we would know if the bank deposit that you made each night didn't match the net sales. We would know if you didn't sign out for your break, which was legally required. We would know through our reporting. And so the situation was, do you want to, do you want to create systems that they will avoid temptation. That's what we believed in. Or do you create situations where they are tempted and they do steal from it? We chose to try to remove the temptation. Uh, I don't want people to get in trouble. So we tried to remove the temptation. So these reports would come in and if the bank deposit didn't, uh, we would call the next morning. And say, you know, here's a chance what happened. And, and if somebody borrowed five dollars because they needed gas money to get home and, and you didn't catch it. Uh, then uh, two weeks later, the baby needs uh, medicine and they borrow a hundred dollars fully intending to give it back. 
But since nobody caught it, next time they thought, huh, I might be able to get that new used car. And we had examples where people took us for a lot of money, but we caught it and we prosecuted. We uh, we felt like that was good for them. And it certainly was good for the rest of the country. Macy's is the one that taught me that. You, you don't do wrong at Macy's without being prosecuted. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I think that set us apart. Uh, that led us to become the world's largest sea tailor uh, in the world. And so uh, we felt like that was the secret sauce to our being able to do that and open so many widely diverse spread geographical locations and still control. So remove the temptation. That's, that was my system for controlling remote locations. I like it. Thank you for that. Sure. So just to wrap things up, what parting wisdom do you have for people? <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, Number one, read the book. <laughs> Amen. The whole idea of, of these stories, and there are a bunch of them with these principles, uh, was to help uh, uh, people. So the parting wisdom is I tried to put what I felt was wisdom uh, from experience uh, into the into the book. Uh, parting shot, if there's really something you want to do, whether it's business or philanthropy, which I'm a great fan. There's a book that best-selling book of all times, uh, translated into more languages than any book ever sold. And in there it says, if you give, it will come back 10 times. In another place it says, if you give, it'll come back a hundredfold. I think that's absolutely true. And I practice that. So we did it as a company. We've done it as individuals. Uh, one of the great rewards about your definition of success is that you can give back. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's your experience, whatever it is. Um, practice that. You won't always be able to spend money, but giving away 80% of everything I've made, I guess, something like that. Uh, camp for kids that are terminally ill, uh, a building at the Air Force Academy, which is the Center for Character and Leadership Development, and on and on. So words of wisdom, it's not all about yourself. It's about taking the blessings that you have and sharing them with those that haven't been so blessed or so lucky or have been in some form that had misfortune occur. I guess that's the best I would suggest. The other is <laughs> you are put here to make because it was going to be easy. So just grab your britches and pull them up and, and, you know, bore into this thing. You're going to fail. It's part of the deal. Some of us think we were put here to learn. <laughs> okay. Before we went on and, uh, you just, you got it. You just got to have grit. There's a great book by Angela Duckworth about grit. And, uh, it's called grit. But that's it. Just, just, just grin and bear it and push on. And when you fall, that's painful. I mean, Chris, it hurts to fail, but climbing that mountain is so much fun. 
So just get up, dust yourself off and start back up. Create a new path up the mountains, making it easier for folks behind you to crawl up that same path to, to whatever their version of success is. I guess that would be it. Enjoy life, but just tackle it with determination because it ain't always easy, right? Chris, thank you. Thank, thank you for the you time. So it's been I fun. Really appreciate you coming out. Hope I haven't bored you to death. <laughs> no, not a bit. That was very entertaining and very uh, enlightening. A lot of words of wisdom. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. It's my honor to be with you, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Pivot Perspectives with your host, Chris O'Byrne. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advice on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates, and we will see you on the next episode.